Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 15. Uh, this will be the last time for a while, I'll tell you that. We've been spending five weeks uh, in this story of the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11 is where that starts. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these around you, and it starts on page 730 in this Bible, 730. Um, man, what a, what a great week, huh? Weather-wise, did you guys enjoy this? It's like my favorite time of year. It's starting to get cool a little bit, and so a couple, uh, okay, just one day this week, I went for a run in the morning, and um, like almost needed long sleeves, but it was right on the border, and so you, get a, you have to get about a mile in before you start to feel uh, warm, and then my, one of my favorite things to do is to, to drive home from work with like the windows rolled down and the sunroof open and you got your arm out the window and there's always great music playing you know on the radio it seems like when the weather's nice the music they play on the radio is better have you noticed that like when it's hot or it's rainy and you got to have the windows up and sunroof closed feel like they're they only play nickelback and then um like you, but when, like, when the weather's nice and you can have the windows open and like your outfit's on fleek and like everything's happening, right? And you can, ha- and then they're playing great music. And don't you just feel like alive when that happens? Doesn't it feel like just like life's got something a little extra for you when the weather's nice and the sun's out and it's a little bit cool? And I just, I've just loved this week. And I think we all have those moments, don't we, where we feel like life is a little better than other moments. Right, And so maybe uh, it's your wedding day. You think about your wedding day and what that was like or what it's going to be like and how uh, cool that day is. Or maybe for you, it's the birth of a baby. I know we got a little, lot of little babies in the room uh, this morning. And so when you, know, you had that first child, and it's like, oh, man, my life is just so good right now. God is just really blessing me. Or maybe graduation day for some people or, or the day he finally asked you out or the day she finally said yes, right? Uh, or the day when the stock market goes way up. Remember those days? That used to happen. It seems like occasionally, but like the stock market goes way up and you, oh, good times. Those were good times. Uh, or when the Colts won the Super Bowl. You remember that? If you watched them last night, you think that may not happen again this year. I don't know. We'll see. You know, the point is that all of us, I think, can point to a moment in time where we felt more alive than we ever had before, right? We all have those moments. We wish we could live some of them over and over again. Well, we're wrapping up this series called Finding Your Way Back to God. I've really enjoyed this series. You guys like this series? I think this has been really good, the, um, the, the story of the prodigal son, the lost son. You know, we've spent five weeks talking about a story that it took Jesus a minute to tell, right? And that's because we've looked at every aspect of this story. And we could, uh, quite honestly, I told somebody that last week at the Noblesville campus, I was over there preaching, and they said, you know, we, we haven't even looked at the second half of the story, which is the older son. We could look at that too, but we really wanted to focus on uh, God's love and grace and mercy as it's shown in this story. And so I hope it's been a memorable series for everyone. And maybe for some of you, it's been a life-changing series. And so as we look at the story of the prodigal son, we've been talking about these five awakenings that happen on our journey back to God. Five things that help us find their way back to God. And we've said that these awakenings aren't just something that happened to us once and then we're good to go, but like these awakenings happen over and over again. And so as we're finding our way back to God, what we find is there are things we continually need in our lives as Christ followers. And so the first one we talked about week one was awakening to longing, when we discover that we have these longings for love and purpose and meaning in our lives, and that those longings are given to us by God, that they're good things, right? But then he puts these longings in us as a way of leading us back to him. So when we're out in a distant, you know, we're out trying to do life on our own, 
And God wants to use these longings to draw us back to him. And then second week, we talked about awakening to regret. Awakening to regret when we recognize, you know, we've tried to satisfy these longings apart from God. That that God gave them to us. God gave us these desires for love and meaning and purpose. And then we go out and we search for them somewhere else. And then we start to feel bad about that. We start to feel regret. And we end up in places and circumstances we never really imagined we would. And regret can threaten to overwhelm us. But we discovered that we could start over. In week three, we talked about awakening to help, where we realize that we're powerless to fulfill our longings on our own, that we can't do that apart from God. And that's where we discover that help has a name, and his name is Jesus. And then last week, Paul was here, did an amazing job, talked about awakening to love. And that's the moment where God, we realize that God loves us deeply, that we are unconditionally loved, children of God. We, we discover that our identity is in that. Our identity is not in the things we've done in the past. It's not in our regrets. It's not in the, the ways that we try to satisfy those longings. Our identity is not in who we love, who we're in relationship with, other than that we are loved by God. We are children of God, and that's where we should all find our identity. And so today, we're going to talk about the fifth awakening. And the fifth awakening, if you're taking notes, is awakening to life. Awakening to life. We're going to experience a taste of that uh, today across both of our campuses, as Robin said, we have 15 people across both of our campuses. Uh, if you want to see some baptisms, you could go have brunch after the service, come back for the second service, and you'll get to see four people here baptized in our second service. Uh, 15 people are finding their way back to God this morning at Genesis Church. I just think that's amazing. I, I just love that, that uh, God is using this series and, and using uh, our, our church family, those of you who serve, God is using you to help people find their way back to God. And we're going to talk more about that next week, but I'm really excited about it. You know, baptism is a symbol of moving from death to life. When when somebody is baptized, it's their way of saying that they are a new person, that they have trusted Christ, that sins are forgiven, that it's a commitment to live for Christ in this world. I think the shirts that I the shirt that I'm wearing, the shirt that they're going to wear this morning say it all. It says alive, right? That we are alive. What difference does it make? You know, what difference does it make that somebody comes up here and gets in a little pool of water and goes under and comes back up? What, what, is, the, what is the value in that? Well, you're going to see it on the faces of the people as they come out. You'll see it in the, in the video we're going to show you here in a few minutes. You're, you're, we're going to celebrate that together because when, when people come out of the water, everybody will tell you that they feel something different. Like there's something, even though it's just a symbolic act, that there's something different about them. It's a powerful moment. It's a life-changing moment. Maybe if you were baptized, maybe you remember that day. Maybe that was one of those days that you felt most alive. When you think of that day, you're reminded of what Christ has done for you and the the life that he's invited you to live. And for many of us, I mean, as we're uh, walking through life, if we haven't had that experience, or even if we have, you know, life doesn't feel very alive all the time. You ever feel that? Like the, the, again, like we talked about week one, is this all there is? Life doesn't feel very alive, and you, you can feel very far from that uh, like abundant life that Christ has called you to. Uh, the truth is, so many times we can feel like we're just going through life, but, but there's no life going through us. You ever have that feeling? I know I've felt that way. And, and so today, what we want to talk about, I'm just going to take a, a, a short period of time here, but I want to talk about uh, how do we continually... Even if we're Christians, even if we've been believers for a long time, how do we continually awaken to life? How do we find that life in Christ all the time? You know, the prayer of the fifth awakening is this. We've been asking you to pray a prayer every week. 
And here's the prayer we're going to ask you to pray this week. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the confidence that I can live a brand new life. Jesus came, he said, so that we could all experience new life. In fact, he told his followers in John 10.10, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, some translations, instead of saying have it to the full, will say uh, rich and satisfying life. Some will say an abundant life. I wonder what you think of when you think of those words. Rich and satisfying, abundant. I think naturally for most of us, we think of more. We think a rich and satisfying life sounds like more, more of what I want, right? It's more, more money in my account, more, a bigger house. It's uh, more satisfying relationships. Maybe it's more vacation time. Uh, as a culture, we love the word more. The, the marketing industry loves to scream that they, you know, we have more available. If you're looking for a house, you want more square feet for less money, right? If you're looking for a, a car, you want to go to buy from a dealership that can give you more for your money, right? And if you're going to buy something off television, you're not going to dial that phone until they tell you, but wait, there's more, right? But wait, there's more. We always want more. We can mistakenly translate more in our lives for fullness in our lives or abundance in our lives. But that's not what Jesus is getting at in this verse. And so to understand that, I just want to uh, do a little Greek study here, okay? Um, I'm not a Greek scholar. I haven't had Greek since high school, but I do uh, have Google. And so um, what I found this week is that the original language of the New Testament is a language called Koine Greek. Koine Greek has many, many words that are translated, uh, maybe five or six words that are translated as life in the New Testament. Five or six different words. One of the most common is this word. It's the word bios, B-I-O-S. You can see in that, that's where we get the root uh, of the word biology. Bios is about... You know, just the act of living, of, of being, of having life in you. It's the, the moments of life. It's the ordinary minutia of living and breathing and drinking and eating. It's a, it's a natural life. It's chronological life. You know, in our bios life, we have 76,000 meals on average. Now everybody's thinking about lunch, right? What are we going to do for lunch? One of those 76,000 meals. We have 200,000 trips to the bathroom. What are you thinking about now? Okay, uh, we have 250,000 hours of sleep. And so that's the bios life. It's the things that we do. It's the, you know, the way our body functions. It's, it's the ordinary, mundane minutia of living. Much of it feels like going through life. That's bios life. But what happens when you feel like there's no life going through you? Well, there's another word, another Greek word for life in the Bible. It's the word zoe. Uh, Zoe includes the bios life, but it goes way beyond. Bios is about quantity and and more of the same, right? But Zoe is different. It's about quality of life. It's a quality of life that comes only from knowing God. That's the way it's used in the Bible. In fact, uh, Zoe is often translated as eternal life. In fact, one translator describes Zoe this way. He says, uh, all life throughout the universe is derived from, In other words, it always only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. So all life throughout the universe is derived, it only comes from, and it's only sustained by God's self-existent life. The Lord intimately shares his gift of life with people, creating each in his image. 
which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life, his zoe. So while zoe ultimately refers to eternal life, it's also about the kind of life that we're made for here on earth. It's that quality of life. It's, it's knowing that we were made for a life that will never end, but that that life can start right now, right here on earth. That the kind of life that we expect to experience in heaven, that part of our expectation from our heavenly Father is that we will experience that even here on earth. When Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, guess which word he uses for life? He doesn't use bios. He uses the word zoe. He's talking about this fullness of life. Jesus is talking about a life with God that makes sense of your past, that enriches your present, and that promises your future. No more of that same old life. When you find your way back to God, it really is the beginning of discovering the Zoe life that God has planned for you. Now, in the story of the lost son that we've been looking at, we see the contrast between uh, bios and Zoe life. Uh, The story from Luke 15, in case you haven't been here, if you've never heard this story, it's probably one of the greatest short stories ever told. It's a a man, a wealthy man, we're led to believe, a farmer that has two sons. And one of his sons, his younger son, says, "Uh, Dad, uh, I'm tired of living this life. Give me my part of the estate so that I can go off by myself. He he gets uh, part of his father's money. He runs off to a distant land. Uh, living among people he doesn't know and trying to impress them, trying to fulfill these longings he has. He spends all of his father's money, and uh, he ends up with nothing, and he has to find a job uh, to make ends meet, and he ends up feeding pigs, which for Jews would have been a really horrible thing to do because Jews believed that pigs were unclean. And so he's, he finds himself farming for pigs, feeding pigs, and he realizes that even his servants back home have a better life. He uh, awakens to help. He realizes that, hey, my dad can help me out with this. And so he decides to kind of put his tail between his legs and go back home and ask to be made a servant again. Uh, but his father unexpectedly runs to him as he's walking down the road, welcomes him home with open arms, and brings him back into the family. And that paints a picture uh, for us of what it's like when we wander away from God and that God wants to welcome us back into his arms and back into his family. And so interesting thing in uh, this story in Luke 15, 12, uh, one verse at the very beginning of the story, the younger son, it says, the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, this is interesting because that original Greek word, the word that's used as property right there is actually the word bios. It's that word for the ordinary, mundane minutia of life. It literally says, this scripture literally says, that the father divided his life between his two sons. He divided everything that he had collected over his life between his two sons. It's as if the father is saying, son, I'll let you have everything this bios life can offer, but I bet that you're going to find out that it's not going to satisfy you. Let me just stop there and ask, I mean, how many of you are realizing right now that this emphasis on the bios life, this uh, emphasis on living for things like money and cars and career and, and dreams, it can't fully satisfy? Have you realized that in your life? It's something that we're trying to teach our kids right now. You know, as, as we uh, run into friends that have more than us, they run into friends that have more than they do, and they think, oh, man, if I only had, why can't we have that house? Why can't we have 
that car? Why can't we have that boat? Why can't we have whatever? And I'm just, I've, seems like I'm just spinning my wheels with my kids trying to convince them, you know, that's not going to make you happy. And maybe the best thing the father could have done for his son was to send him away with all of that stuff and let, it prove, let him prove it to himself, right? And I think so many times we think, why does God let me get in this situation? Why does God let me make that decision? And I think maybe because there are things that he wants to teach us that we're never going to learn if he tells us, that we only have to experience for ourselves, that we have to go through loss. We have to suffer through things to learn. Don't you, don't you learn from suffering? You learn from suffering, right? I think we do that. And so that's what the father does. But when we start to put our hope and our trust in the things of this world, we make them the ultimate things, right? We make them the goal of our life. We pour all of our hopes into those things. We come up empty. We're we're left empty. There's no life running through us. The bios life pales in comparison to the Zoe life, life with the Father, life with God. You know, God doesn't want us to settle for the bios life when he created us for the Zoe life. The Father and Jesus wants wants us to experience life to the full. It's life that's in him, it's life through him, and it's life for him. You know, when I think about this story and Jesus telling this story, remember, Jesus is telling this story to a crowd, uh, and some of them are followers of his, some of them aren't. But he tells this story, actually tells three stories. There are three stories that are part of this whole uh, complex of stories of lost things. He tells the story of a lost sheep, he tells the story of a lost coin, and he tells the story of a lost son. And the son uh, goes away to fulfill his longings. He comes back home. He's welcomed home with open arms. And as Jesus is telling this story, I think, what, what would you ask? Like at the end of these three stories, is there a question that you would ask? Is there something that when he's done, like I still want to know? Because for me, there is. I'm maybe leading the audience, okay? But, but for me, there's a question that still needs to be asked. I would love to know. If I were sitting in the audience, I would raise my hand and say, uh, uh, Jesus, what happened to the young son? Like, what happened after this? Did he stay with his father for the rest of his life? Or did he leave again? Don't you want to know that? Wouldn't you like to know? Like, what, is the, what happens to this kid after that? I mean, he comes home, he's still young, he's still got his whole life ahead of him. His, he's going back to the life that wasn't satisfying him before he left it. Don't you want to know what happened? I'd like to think that the son was so overwhelmed by his father's show of love and completely enamored with his new life back home that he never left. That he really, he learned his lesson, he came back home, he realized, you know what? It really is better here, I'm just going to stay. But what would you say if you found out that the son stuck around for a few months and then he started to get those longings again and he left again? Would you be disappointed? Would you be surprised? I'd be surprised. I saw the way the father greeted him when he came back home. I'm like, why would you ever want to leave that? But I don't think we should be surprised because isn't that our story? Isn't that so many times what we do? We, we come back to God. We're welcomed into the family with open arms. But eventually we, we get bored. Like we stop living that Zoe life. We, we start thinking about those longings and We go back to pursuing the bios life. But that's not God's best for us. He wants us to pursue that Zoe life, that life with him. 
And so what do we do with all this? I mean, what, what does this Zoe life really look like? Well, fortunately, God was generous enough to give us an answer, an example, actually, in the life of his son, Jesus. And so beginning in two weeks on Sunday, September 13th, I am so excited about this new series we're going to start. I think this is a big statement, but I think it is going to be the pivotal series in the life of our church. I really do. I think if, if you have to miss a Sunday, don't miss Sunday, September 13th. We're starting an eight-week series on the life of Jesus. We don't have a name for it yet. We're still in the midst of writing it. But, but several of us, I think four of us on staff, spent the last year studying the life and ministry of Jesus, specifically focusing on this verse and what it means for our church. First John 2.6 says this, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so we're going to spend eight weeks talking about what it means to live as Jesus did, to live that Zoe life, a life connected to the Father. Every time you see Jesus, he's connected to his Father. He's he's in communion with God. Our whole staff has been talking about this for the last probably six or eight months, and uh, we're going to start talking about it with you on September 13th. Look back at John 10.10 again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life, and have it to the full. You know, when we go about living our bios life, our biological life, we, we leave our life open to the thief. We're, we're, get, we're setting ourselves up for destruction. It's only when we commit ourselves to life with the Father, life with God, a Zoe life, a life where pursuing Jesus is the central objective, only then that we can have life and life to the full. And so I'm so excited for the 15 people today at Genesis Church that are coming forward and saying, I want to pursue that Zoe life. Like, I want to come up here in front of my church, in front of my family and friends, and announce publicly that I want to start to walk as Jesus walked. Now, maybe they're not perfect. I think all of them would tell you that. But they're being made new. And they want their baptisms to represent that. You know, maybe you came this morning just to listen but maybe God's got something greater for you. Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe I want that Zoe life. Maybe I should get baptized too. I want to tell you, we've got extra shorts and towels and, uh, and T-shirts. We're ready, and we have another service coming up at 1115. And so if that's something you want to do, just come see me after the service. We would love uh, to get you started down that road to that Zoe life. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful Uh, for those who are coming forward this morning. I'm thankful for uh, this life that you offer, this life of abundance, of fullness, uh, this life that you want us to have, that you desire us to have. And God, I'm so thankful uh, that you give us that example in Jesus. And so um, as we go into a time of worship, Lord, I just pray that you would show us what that Zoe life looks like. Help us to see what it is you have planned for our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.